How are we doing today? Still doing all right? Nothing changed in the last minute, minute and a half. We're all good. Hey, look, I wanted to uh, just take a second and uh, talk about a couple things before we get going in our sermon today. Uh, in case maybe it's your first time here, first time watching, my name is Jordan. I'm the lead pastor here at Northwood Church, and so we're excited that you're here. Excited that we got some people in the house today for the, I think, the third week in a row now, something like that. It's nice to actually see people. And... Um, you know, uh, this has been a weird year, and it's going to continue to be a weird year, and I think it's going to be even weird in the next year, and I mean, hey, who knows? So, uh, so we're being super flexible in kind of how we do church and how we approach church, but uh, the main thing is this, is that we gather together in some way, shape, and form in order to worship Jesus. Um, you know, right now we're in a break even with our small groups. We're going to be launching small groups back up here in August, and so we're getting excited about that. You're going to be hearing more about that. But again, a couple of things before we get going here today. You know, yesterday was July 4th, and it's Independence Day. And, um, you know, we, we know what that day means, and we celebrate it t- together as a nation. And uh, I don't know, I think this year was a little bit more special for me, um, just because of where we are at as a nation. Now, things are tough. Um, there's no getting around that. At Northwood Church, we don't, we don't really beat around the bush. We just talk about what's going on because we feel like that's probably the best way to deal with stuff. It's just, let's just talk about it. And, uh, you know, yesterday I was really thinking through just kind of what's even taking place this year. You know, uh, all, the, all the, you know, uh, the, the tension surrounding the COVID-19 and the tension surrounding what's going on in our nation in regards to, to racism and, and, you know, all of, just there's so much happening. And, uh, and yesterday, I just really thought through, through all of that, what a great nation we live in. What a great nation we live in. And, and you know, I, I don't know if you're like me, but, but at times, I can begin to look at my home. I can begin to look at my family. I can look at the things that I have, and I can begin to look at them through a negative lens. And I can actually lose contentment and satisfaction with what it is that God has given me. And, and I think as a nation, we can do that too. We can begin to, to poke holes in what's, you know, been wrong, what's wrong right now and what needs to be fixed. And, and, and I think that there's a lot of conversations, again, that are happening that need to happen. But at the same time, we can't lose that, that, that contentment, that, 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 that the beauty of our nation. There's a lot of good things that we need to celebrate. We're a free nation. Come on, guys. Right now, we are gathered together to worship Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I'm not scared about somebody busting through the doors and, and shutting us down. Um, yet I guess (laughs) you know what I'm saying you know I guess you know maybe if we don't do masks I don't really know where things are headed but uh you know for right now now we're worshiping Jesus we're declaring his truth and so um so you know I'm grateful to live in this nation and you know I just want to challenge you in that as we we're kind of walking through this time as a nation don't begin to shoot holes in in the boat that we're all in you know what I'm talking about like like we've got we've got to stay balanced in the way that we look at things that are going going on and uh, and I want to pray over our nation I want to pray over our nation <laughs> man don't y'all know our nation needs it come on so let's gather together let's worship uh, let's pray to God right now for our nation father we we come to you humbly first off God we thank you for the great nation that we live in God we don't take it for granted God the freedom that we do have and, and the, the the things that we are able to do and, and and be a part of in this nation we thank you for that we thank you for those who have given their lives to so that we can have this freedom Freedom ain't free. And so, God, we, we recognize that today. And, God, we, we especially pray for our nation and all of the turmoil that's taking place. God, there, there seems to be even more of a polarization taking place in so many facets. And, God, we, as the church, stand together. And, and God, we say that we will be different, that we will bring unity, that we will be peacemakers because it's what you've called us to be. God, we will stand for truth. We will stand for righteousness. And God, we'll stand for the freedom that we have ultimately in Christ. God, we declare that truth. We thank you for where we live. God, we pray that you would continue to do a great work in our nation. And God, we know that above anything that we need in our nation, God, that we need you. We need to have a revelation of who you are. God, that your truth would continue to permeate every heart and every life, even where it seems like things are moving in the opposite direction, it's, it's, it, things are becoming more fractured. God, we know that you work in our weakness. And so, so God, we trust you, we praise you, we thank you for the United States of America. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 
Well, look, today's a really special day, and you didn't know it. You didn't know if you're watching online. It's a very, very special day because today we have a, a super special speaker talking today. Uh, for many of you, you've heard him probably thousands of times. For, uh, for others of you, you've never even seen his face, okay? But uh, today, uh, my dad is going to be preaching, and uh, yeah. So uh, in case you don't know, he was lead pastor here for almost 30 years. Uh, we moved here in 1989, and um, uh, things, were, things were okay they weren't going too well. And, uh, and so here we are, you know, 30 whatever years later, and uh, God's done a great thing in South Mississippi through this church. But uh, I think, you know, we should always give honor where honor is due. And, uh, and God uses people, right? God uses people to advance his kingdom, and, uh, but he uses willing people. And so my dad, my parents have been willing people for a very long time serving the kingdom of God. And uh, so today, as we listen to them, I just want you to know who, who he is and uh, the fact that he deserves some honor. So if you're watching online, go ahead and send some emojis out there. You know what I'm saying? Some clappy hands. And everybody in here, come on, would you give it up for Van Cody? Yeah, thank you, Jordan. Thank you so much. Well, wow, people in the house. Really, really good. Well, you know, thank you for that, Jordan. You know, I, I remember when Jordan was 13, he was playing baseball. He was a very good baseball player. And he came to me one day and he said, Dad, I, I, I think I'm finished with baseball because I want to give the rest of my life to my music. And uh, I thought that was the greatest decision that a young man could make on his own. Uh, he just didn't know that that was the bridge to lead pastor of Northwood Church. And who knows where it's going to lead him from then. So, you know, we're excited about that. We still got a little fire left in the, in the belly. Amen. And so uh, I just want to say this, that uh, to echo what Jordan said about in our nation and what's going on. Remember the scripture. Don't ever forget this. If you can't run with the footman, what will you do when the horsemen come? Now, what that's telling us is that if you're weak and failing in the small stuff, what are you going to do when it really gets, if it really gets? I don't know what it's going to get, but if it does get, we need to be prepared to run with the horseman. Amen? And so keep your heart right, keep your life right, and everything's going to be okay. All right, you ready? So today, we're just going to continue in a series that we're in in the book of Ecclesiastes. I love the title of it, What's the Point? Have you ever been in your life, you wonder, what's the point of this thing that I'm doing? Or what's the point of, of this marriage? What's the point of having to go through all this trouble? And so we've been going through different subjects, you know. What's the point of wisdom? What's the point of that? Today, we're going to share with, with you what is the point of death? What's the point of death? So we, we, we know that, that Ecclesiastes was written, at least most Bible scholars agree that it was written by King Solomon, who was the son of King David of Israel. And uh, the thing about Solomon is that he, he had it all, he did it all, and he knew a bunch of stuff, and he just put it down in paper. And uh, I used to read the book of Ecclesiastes when I was young and say, man, what's, what's that all about? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But as I've gotten older, it's making more and more sense to me. It seems kind of cynical in a sense. It seems kind of negative in a sense. But if you keep moving through it properly, you'll find out that it's filled with truth and it's going to help us out. I know that there's some terms in this book that uh, you see a lot of times. You see, you see the term under the sun 27 times. It means really you can say life on earth. And then 33 times you see the term vanity. Vanity. And he says, you know, going after everything is like chasing the wind and and the word meaningless means like that, like a vapor, like trying to grab a vapor, like uh, you, you never can do it. When we were kids, we used to chase the wind in the, in the springtime when the wind would blow hard. We would run in the front yard and, and we would just run through the wind and you can't ever get enough of it. You can't ever really corral it. It's just an amazing thing. And so, so the main idea today is that death makes life meaningless, but Jesus came to bring abundant life. And it's something that we need to understand because we were made to live in the book of Genesis chapter one and chapter two. God says, you know, to Adam and Eve, he put them in this wonderful garden. He said, I want you to tend the garden. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to fill the earth. They walked with him in the cool of the day. It must have been a wonderful time. I can't imagine what it was like to be able to do that. But they did that. 
And they were living. I think God created them to live forever in that particular state. But then in Genesis chapter 3, we know that man sinned and sin, sin, sin brings death, 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 and destruction. And really, it's the problem that we have today, this thing of death brought about by sin. Sin separates from God. Sin causes spiritual death. Sin causes physical death. And it's something that we all have to face. You know, it's not a subject that we really want to talk about. But in my years so far in in working with people and loving and living with people, I've I've had the opportunity to officiate funerals for many, many people. I mean, I've officiated funerals for newborns who didn't make it. I've officiated nine-month-old funerals, young adults, even in our church here many times, People cut down in their teen years, their early uh, young adult life. I've uh, middle-aged people. Just recently, Mark McCraw, if you're here, Mark, you know, we love you, bro. We, we encourage you. He lost his wife, Patrice, 49 years old. Today at 3 p.m. in this place, we're going to have a funeral for a memorial service for John Alliston III, 76 years old, who died John and Mandy and the family, Judy, they've been in this church forever and ever. I think some of them were even born in the church. And so we were coming together to celebrate his life. It just seems like death just keeps marching on and on and on. And the thing about it is, is that uh, death, get this, death comes to all. There's not one person sitting in this room that is not going to experience it. Now, let's do this. Let's put our charismatic attitude in our pocket and realize that we are mortals and that no matter what we do, death is going to come knocking on each one of our individual doors. It is just the way it is. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we begin looking at this subject that is tough for many, but yet needs to be embraced by all. In the first verse, it says, For all this I took to heart, exploring and explaining it all, how the righteous, the upright, in right standing with God, and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. Whether it is to be love or hatred, no man knows. All that is before them. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, And to the unclean, to him who sacrifices, and to him who does not sacrifice. As is the good man, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who fears and shuns an oath. This evil is in all that is done under the sun. One fate comes to all. Right in the middle of these verses, it says, all things things come alike to all. Everyone, you're sitting in your living room right now. You're maybe driving in your car. Maybe you're on vacation and then you're in the room right here. It's all, all things come to all alike. You know, sometimes we would think that the wicked, they are, you know, oh, you wicked person, you need to have a bad life and you need to, you know, die early. And oh, you righteous, God loves you and so he protects you and you're never going to have a problem. And both those extremes are incorrect. It's bad theology to think that way. And, and when circumstances come, we, we cannot use our circumstances to define whether or not God loves us or hates us, whether God is for us or against us. What a yo-yo life when my circumstances are good, God is good, but when my circumstances are bad, where is God? You know, on the mountaintop, I shout that God is great, but in the valley, I wonder where he is. Well, let me tell you where he is. He's on the mountaintop, he's in the valley, and he's everywhere in between there. You know what I mean? And you, you know, I don't mean to shoot holes in theology, some people's theology, but you can confess and confess and confess, but it doesn't always make it come out the way you want. Because I don't know about you, but I'm always confessing positive things. I'm always confessing I got the victory. You know, God is good. I am good. I am great. This is good. I am blessed. Every day of my life, I am blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You know what's so funny? What is funny is when you got a group of people together, say like your small group, and one, you know, everybody goes through the same thing, and one person gets a blessing, like they get a promotion on their job, and they say, God loves me, and he blessed me. The other person got fired. How do we reconcile that? 
I mean, how do we deal with that thing of God blessed you with a promotion, but where does that put me? Well, maybe I missed my confession. Is that right? See, this really bucks against the popular idea that if you're faithful, uh, then you will live a long and prosperous life. If you'll say the right prayers, God will expand your territory. Your tent pegs will stretch out. Well, I think John the Baptist said the right prayers and did the right things, but yet he got his head cut off. I read about the martyrs of old and maybe even today who are doing everything right, but yet everything seems to go wrong. I've seen people who are physical fitness people. I mean, you know, they like exercise, eat right, broccoli. They never eat, you know, like macaroni and cheese ever. But yet we read that they dropped dead of a heart attack while they were jogging their five miles. And then I read about people who chain smoke every day of their life and drink whiskey out the bottle and they live to be 105 years old. And I'm trying to figure out how this works. You know, my mother is 93 and a half years old and she's never exercised a day in her life that I'm aware of. My dad tells the story, but dad, dad, he's not no longer with us, but, but uh, he tells the story of his 94-year-old aunt who was blind. And it came time that they decided, the family decided, isn't it amazing when you get older, the family decides? The family decided that she needed a checkup, so they brought her to the doctor. And when they brought her to the doctor, now she's 94 and she's blind, and she's at the doctor's office. They do the blood work, all what, what they do, you know. Well, her test results came back, and her cholesterol was a little high. So they brought her back in. I mean, they drugged blind 94-year-old aunt back to the doctor for the consultation. And they said, uh, you know, we, we, we see that your cholesterol is high, so we want to put you on a low cholesterol diet. Now, I'm just going to put the word out to you, Jordan, and Carrie, you are here. To, uh, if I'm 94 and blind and my cholesterol is high, order me up a pizza. Meat lovers. All the way. What you got to lose, man. But that's where we're at. Because, because we're afraid of death. Because we don't want anybody to die. But death is the great equalizer. It comes to the rich and it comes to the poor. It comes to the good looking and it comes to the not so good looking. It comes to the ones that are high up and the ones that are really low down. It knocks on everybody's door. It's not a punishment for the Christian. Someone once said that it's not, but it is an attention getter. That's why I think it's really healthy for us to attend funerals. Because usually at a funeral is where you are brought face to face with not only the mortality of the person who has passed away, but it also brings to light your mortality. I don't know about you, I, I've done so many funerals where I'm, I'm, I'm speaking over a body and in my subconscious, that other mind that's going on while you're speaking, it's like one day, Van, you're going to be the one in the coffin. And somebody else hopefully is going to say a few good things about you. I, I, I will say this, I believe every person, no matter who they are, deserves someone to say something good about them at their funeral. It's an attention getter. And there's no guarantee how life is going to go. You know, I try to make wise choices. I'm sure you do also. Pastor spoke to us a couple of weeks ago about wisdom. We need to make wise choices. But even in that, I have no guarantee how my life is going to go. I'm not in control of my life. Not really. Really and truly, in the end, God is sovereign and God has full control over what happens in my life. And he has full control over what happens in my death. Now, we said that death is coming to everyone. So how should we handle this thing when we know it's coming? I mean, for you young people that are in the room, for you who are sitting in your couches right now, I know that you're eating a pancake and you got your pajamas on and your hair's all messed up, but <laughs> look at me. Look right at the television. Look right at that telephone. 
and realize that we, we, we've got to deal with death. We've got to figure out how we're going to do it. So how do we do it? Do we dwell on it every day of our life? I mean, do we wake up every morning wringing our hands and saying like that? Well, is today the day? I don't know the day. Is today the day? Or do we just think about it? I think, yes, we should think about it. We should be mindful of it. When I was in my early 20s, I never thought about it one bit. But I will tell you this right now, that in my 60s, I'm 68 now, I think about death a lot. And I prepare about death. Not in a negative sense, because we were singing that song just a while ago, and I want to tell you something right now. It's everything I can do to contain myself. I feel like a, a horse at the starting gate of the Kentucky Derby. It's like, just ring the bell and open this gate so I can go. 2 Timothy chapter 1 says this, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. God didn't give us this thing of fear, so, so fear comes. In Hebrews, it says it this way, that, that people are held in slavery or bondage their entire life because they have a fear of death. And then John, in his first book, he says that fear has torment. So if I'm fearing death, I'm in torment and slavery and bondage all the days of my life. If I haven't settled this thing of the death of my life, if I haven't given it any thought, you know, we should give thought to preparing for our death as much as we give thought to preparing for our life. Some people are overwhelmed with the what-ifs, and so they live in this fear, and they constantly worry about what's going to happen. You know, I have conversations about death. We're preparing for death. Jan and I bought our own uh, mausoleum. You say, man, that's morbid. No. You might as well get ready. You need somewhere to be laid. And so we took care of that. I know some of you are thinking, oh, wow. As a matter of fact, we, had a, we already have our plate on there. You know why? Because I want to know that I'm ready and I want to face death with courage. So we have this idea that how am I going to do it? So when you worry, there is no grace. Let me say that again. There is no grace for worry. Grace comes at the time that it's needed. Grace is the power of God that comes in a person's life. And so I don't need grace for worry, but I will have grace in the time of death. Not only my own death, but the death of those I love. And we've lost several family members now. I've buried several of my family members. I've officiated the funeral of my father and Jan's father and Jan's brother of 48. And I've officiated Jan's brother-in-law's funeral. So you have to have conversations about that. So grace comes to us in a time of need. You don't ever have to worry. I love to watch the grace of God work. So then, if we look at death just by itself, death makes life meaningless. It just does. It's like, well, what's the deal anyway? And, and that's what uh, the, the third verse begins, and it, it teaches us. Also, the hearts of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after they go to the dead, after that they go to the dead, they live bad. There, there is no exemption, no one's exempt. But he who is joined to all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. What a, what a sentence. But you know what? A dead lion is dead, even though it's majestic and he's powerful and his dead is dead. But the, the old junkyard dog, that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about your little, your little chihuahua at the house with the little bow on the, on the neck. You know, it's not talking about that. This is talking about uh, a junkyard dog, a nasty, like it, what we saw in Nepal, huh, honey? Every, every dog in Nepal is grotesque. Every one of them has a tail this long and that big around. They are nasty, they are dirty, and that's what it's talking about. But he says, it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. I'll let you put your own interpretation to that. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. 
And they have no more reward here. No more reward here. In other words, once you die, you have no more reward here. You have nothing more to do here. For the memory of them is forgotten. My pastor told me one day, you know, if, most of you don't know Brother Ed, but if you did, you'd understand. He looked at me one day, I was in his office, he said, man, you know what? We were talking about a funeral we got ready to do, or we had done, or, or something. He was teaching me something. He said, you know what? He said, there's not five people going to remember who you are two weeks after you're dead. <laughs> that's how I came up. <laughs> you, you know, it's, that's what made me strong. That's what keeps me going. <laughs> But you know what? It's true. We think, oh boy, everybody's going to remember me. But you know, just those that are very, very close are going to remember you, which is good enough. So the living they don't know anything. They will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward here, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hatred and their envy has already perished. Neither have they any more a share in anything that is done under the sun or life on earth. No more. It, it speaks to such the futility of death. It really affects our, our system because, you know, there is a belief, and has always been, that there's nothing after death. When you die, you just are put in the ground or you're cremated, and that's that. And there's, there's no afterlife. There's, there's nothing to look forward to. And, and because of that belief, people who have that belief cast off their restraints. They don't... I mean, why not? What, what does it matter if, if, if I have no vision of the future? Well, just let it rip right now. If there is no life after death, the Bible says we ought to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And a lot of people are living that way. For church this morning, we were looking at CBS Sunday morning on television, and we put that on when we were getting dressed, and, and, and they were interviewing a musician, and he said, I used to be very religious. I used to be in church all the time. He said, no, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do anything anymore. He said, music is my religion now. And I thought, boy, have you gone in the wrong direction? But then I thought this. I thought, well, if all you ever did was go to church and have religion, you really never were connected to the living God. So you may not have backed off of anything other than going to a church building and going through some motions. But I'm going to tell you something. Once you come into contact, once the Holy Spirit fills you, once you're living for God and you understand that this thing is a reality beyond all realities, there's, there's, just, there's no way that you can just nonchalantly turn your back on God. Notice I said nonchalantly. It takes great effort to leave the living God that you know. So death is coming. It really is. So some say live like tomorrow is your last day. Or live like today. You know, there's no tomorrow. I mean, you know, live today's your last day. And they say, you know, that's a great way to live. But that's a horrible way to live. Because if you lived like today was your last day, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't go to work. I wouldn't pay the bills. If I was a student, I wouldn't study for that exam coming up if today was my last day, right? I mean, I wouldn't do any, I wouldn't do any chores around the house. I wouldn't mow the lawn. I tell you what, I wouldn't clean the house. Some of you say, I don't clean my house now. Well, we, we understand that. So because death is coming, so how should we live? I mean, what, what should we do? You know, I, I think that I want to read this to make sure that you get it. I think we should live as if we have a set number of days. Live as if you do not get an endless supply of days. Living your life with this in mind is wise because it will help you not be careless with your spouse. It will help you not miss out on time with your children. It will help you not be indifferent at your job or any other such distractions. I was typing this, and, I, and I'm just going to be transparent with you. I just said something to Jan that probably wasn't, it, I, it wasn't that bad. In my mind. But boy, I, I, I typed this, and as I was typing it, it's like God just came and sat down, not beside me. He like sat on me, just poof. And he said, sort of like, read it again. 
And so I read it again. It said, because it will help you not be careless with your spouse. It will not, it will help you appreciate things, people. I have a set number of days. That's why the Bible tells us, it teaches us. It says, teach yourself to number your days. Lord, teach me to number my days. Teach me to know that I'm not immortal, that death is coming. Examine your priorities. You know, we, we say this a lot of time in church. We say, well, right now, just take time to examine your priorities. But I think it would be wise if you really got serious with your priorities. I mean, like, really serious. I mean, the serious that brings about change. A lot of times, I get serious about something for a moment, no change, which means I really wasn't serious about it. How about you? How many of you said, uh, tomorrow it's going to be different, and tomorrow it's exactly the same? But how many of you have decided one day something's got to change right this minute? Lord, it's going to change, and you were never the same. That's, what, that's when you know that you really have. So, change, you know, you've really looked at your priorities. So, you know, we, we should look for real meaning beyond death. We really should. And that brings me to another part of what we want to talk about, and that is that Christ's death makes our life meaningful. I'm sure some of you are saying, well, I was waiting for them to get around to Jesus. Well, everything is in Jesus. You know, you live life with the end in mind. Get that. Imprint that on your heart. Live life with the end in mind. Not the now. That's the big point. You see, because if it, if it doesn't matter in death, it probably doesn't matter as much in life. The seemingly big things may not be as big as we think. And we should enjoy the small things. The small things may matter more than what you think. I remember sitting in the living room of a 24-year-old man who was dying of cancer. At least that's what we thought it was. I really believe he was dying of AIDS. That was back in the day when we weren't sure what was what. But I was sitting on his couch. I can just picture it right now. I'm sitting on his couch, and I'm having this conversation. It's a summer afternoon, and sitting on the couch, I'm side by side with him. We're looking out of a, a, a large window into his front yard, and I asked him to tell me what he was feeling and I wrote down the quote. He said, I'm not interested in a new car or what kind of clothes I wear. He had on some sweatpants barefoot with a black T-shirt. And he taught me something there because I began to learn about people who were on the doorstep of death. That the things that we really go after, let's get real, we want good cars, nice things, you know, at the point of death, everything takes on a different perspective. When I was a little boy, I had funny feet, real skinny feet, narrow, narrow feet, so I couldn't wear shoes just from anywhere. And so we had a shoe store in our town, M&B Shoe Store, and the man who managed it was Mr. Cotton Godin. And so all my life, I would go there and I would buy shoes. And even as a teenager, when I started working and I had to buy my own clothes, I would go to Mr. Cotton because I didn't have enough money and his shoes were expensive because I had funny, skinny feet. And the, back then, narrow shoes cost more than regular shoes. It's really strange. He would allow me to charge the shoes. I'd give him like $2 down. I'd pay him $2 a week until I paid those shoes off. And so I got to know him real well. And then, then I grew up and, and, you know, got married, started having kids, and, and, and they closed down the store. And so he retired, and, and I kind of lost track of him. But uh, I had heard one day that he was in the hospital, that he was very sick with cancer. And, and so I wanted to go see him. And I'll never forget walking in that door. When I opened the door, his bed was straight ahead of me. He was sitting straight up in his bed, and I was absolutely taken back. Because the last time I saw him, he was a very, you know, strong man, a, you know, hefty man, always with a giant smile on his face all the time, deep voice. 
And he sat in that bed and he looked straight ahead. I think he was looking straight through me and he looked seriously like a skeleton that has skin just draped on it. It took me a while to recover before I could speak. And I walked slowly to his bedside and I, I told him who I was and I told him hello and he, he, I think he recognized me. As a matter of fact, I know he does. He couldn't speak, but he just, his eyes and his, he just would move his head up and down just barely. And so I just began to talk to him about life and death and, and I began to ask him questions. Just, I, I, you know, are, are you ready to die? How do you feel about it? He, he would just look at me. And finally, I, I realized that maybe I should help him die. And I, I know that goes against faith and raising the dead. I understand that. Just judge me on that. But I was just a young minister and I'm in a room with a man that's dying that I knew my whole life. And, and so I realized that maybe he's just holding on and maybe he should die. I didn't know. We don't know as much as what we think we know until you're in the moment. And so I remember whispering in his ear, the only thing I knew to say, and this is what I said. I said, Mr. Cotton, it's okay for you to die. Your wife's going to be taken care of. Do you want to pray to let go, to die? And he nodded his head, yes. And I prayed with him. In 45 minutes, he was gone. That happened three times in my life so far. You see, the big things don't matter at death. It's the small things. Relationships. Who I know. Will they be cared for? What about my kids? What about my wife, my husband? What, 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 you know, not my business. Who cares about the business? What about the things that matter the most? I think we need the right perspective on death. And I think that positions us to have the right perspective on life. So in view of life, we, you know, we choose to live on purpose. And he goes on in the seventh verse. He said, so because of all this, go your way, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a cheerful heart if you are righteous, wise, and in the hand of God. For God has already accepted your works. Let your garments be always white and let your head not lack the oil of gladness. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life which he has given you under the sun. I mean, he was doing good and all of a sudden he just got it cracks down on us again. All the days of futility. For that is your portion in this life and in your work at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, the place of the dead where you are going. So with this in mind, what is our ultimate view of death? What, how do we do it? How do, how do we handle it? What, what, what statement can we make that will bring about a stability to us as believers? And I believe, that, I believe the statement is that death is defeated by Jesus. Death is defeated in what Jesus did. We just sang about that. It's just amazing how all this comes together and teaches us about life and death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, like speaking to it like it's an entity. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your victory, death? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 says, so that we are always of good courage. He said, I'm always of good courage because we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Very important. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Let me finish with this. In Psalm 116, the Bible says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And I kind of wrangled with that because I think death is an enemy. It's the last enemy that's going to be put underneath the feet of Jesus. 
So I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking, how can it be precious? Well, it can be precious. It can be precious because it's like the Lord. I want you to picture the Lord in heaven. And you're on earth. And you're born again. You're, you're a Christian. I mean, you're, you're saved. And, and you're living for him. And then the day comes for your death. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so here's the Lord. Just simply. I, think, I just think that his heart is overjoyed with us coming home. I think that the Lord says, you made it. Come on in. The kingdom is yours. You no longer have to live by faith. You can live by sight now. Because we're seeing him face to face. We just sang that. On that day that we stand face to face. We need to enter heaven like my little granddaughter, E. She came to the house yesterday. She walked in and she said, I'm back. <laughs> I just loved it. I'm back. And I think that's what we need to have the attitude. Look, when we see the grave coming, we just, when, we, when we leave this body and we go into the presence of the Lord, we just say, hey, Jesus, I'm back. Last night, I had a conversation with my mom. Yesterday was my brother's 71st birthday, and she lives in an apartment in his backyard. And he told me that she didn't come to his birthday because she wasn't feeling well, so I called her last night. Called her about 10 o'clock last night. 10.30, as a matter of fact. She sort of like goes to bed when she wants to and gets up when she wants to. So she'll go to bed at 3 in the morning, get up at 4 in the afternoon. When you're 93 and a half, you do what you want to do. So I wanted to see how she was. I said, Ma, how you doing? She said, I, just, I don't feel good, you know. And so we talked about a lot of things. And then I, I said, Ma, Ma, I said, I'm preaching tomorrow. And I'm preaching on death. I said, so can you give me, your perspective as a 93-year-old on death? Jan was listening on speakerphone. She didn't hesitate one moment. She and I wrote down what she said. She said four things. She said, I'm ready to die. I think that's good. I'm ready to die. The second thing she said, because I am saved. Boy, that's something sweet to come out of the mouth of your mom. I'm saved. We were instrumental in leading her to the Lord. She thought it was kind of crazy until we prayed for her one day and her elbow got healed. And then she, she said, I think I believe this. The third thing she said, I do not fear dying. I'm not afraid to die. And then the fourth thing she said was, I can't go until God decides. I probably could have just read this and we could have prayed. Because this is the words of a person who is on the doorstep of death. Every time I see mom in person, I know she's weaker and weaker and she knows that too and so I wonder if if we could have these four things in our life I'm wondering you who are watching if you if you could just possess these four thoughts or truths you in this room if you could possess this can could you get a hold to this and could you say with my mom I'm ready I'm saved I'm fearless and I'm waiting to see Jesus. Let's bow our heads together if you don't mind. Let's just take a minute and give some thought to what we just said. There in your home, just get it all quiet. Put everything down and just close your eyes. Quit thinking about everything. Come on, discipline your mind right now to put your mind on the things of God and ask the question.
Am I ready to die? Am I right with God? If you're fearful, we're going to pray over that right now. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, we're going to pray with you right now. It's not hard. Jesus has made it easy. He died for you to give you life. So right where you are, let's pray together. And if you're opening up your heart to Jesus for the first time, or maybe you've closed him off for many years and you're ready to like open up again to trust again, we're just going to simply talk to the Lord. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we're here on earth and we're just speaking to you and opening up our life to you. You know us better than anyone. You know everything about us, every thought, every fear, every action. And we're praying right now that you would speak to us and that you would touch our hearts. We pray, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus. We ask you to forgive us of our sins. Just go ahead. If you if you that way, just ask him. Just say, forgive me. I've been wrong, Lord. I've been separated. Forgive me of my sins. Come, change me. Make me the person you want me to be. I'm surrendering to you. I'm trusting you now for my life on earth and for my eternal life. I receive what Jesus has done for me on the cross. I receive him right now as my Lord and my Savior. And Father, I ask you to take away the fear of dying from me. Replace it with the assurance of eternal life. Help me to do this, Lord. And Father, I pray right now for every person that's watching, every person that's sitting in this room. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, we are going to stand against fear. No longer will be slavery to fear. No longer will be intimidated by the grave. But Lord God, we will look forward to that day where we leave this body and we're present with you. We confess that, Lord. We live by that faith, Father. We thank you for that. We give you all the honor and all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. Come on, we you stand to your feet right now? Come on, we're going to go back into song right now. I just want you to lift your hands before the Lord. Come on, just put them up there high. Just come on, like you're saying, Daddy, I just love you and I'm ready to come home. I just thank you for the life of Jesus. And I thank you for what you've done in my life right now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.
God, I pray that there will be real change that is made. God, that as we focus on the truths that we were taught this morning, God, that your Holy Spirit will convict us. God, we thank you for conviction. We thank you for your spirit that works in our hearts and brings about change so we can go into this world and do the things that you have called us to do. And we can make the most of this life, this sweet life that you have given us and live with purpose for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, it's been a good morning, huh? It's been a good morning. You know, for, for those of you who, you know, maybe you're in this room or watching online, and, and Pastor Van, as he led us in that prayer, you decided that you were going to deal with that part of your future, that, that death no more is going to have a sting for you because now you have Jesus and his righteousness now covers you. You are saved. And we want to celebrate that with you and not only just celebrate, but help you to take your next steps because you just entered into a new family. And so here's what I want you to do. Whether you're in here in this room or you're watching online, pull out your phone or do whatever you need to do and go to northwood.church slash next steps. We want to help you take that next step. There's a short little form there. Just fill that out. We're going to reach out to you this week. And even after the service here, if you just want to come up and talk to me, I'll be hanging around and I can help you out with, uh, with that as well. So um, also, I want to just remind you guys, be faithful with giving. You know, we talked about the, 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 what we were able to do this week. It's that and so much more is because you guys are faithful to give. Even during this time of uncertainty, I'm just blown away blown away by how faithful this church has been with giving and help us continue on with the mission that we're called to here in South Mississippi. Um, you know, if you I welcome those of you who are new earlier in the service. Maybe today is your first day watching or, or in here, or maybe you've been hanging out for a while and you're wondering, how can I connect to Northwood Church? How can I take my next steps? Well, actually, we do something, well, we were doing something once every month called our Next Steps class. It was how you can find out some more about Northwood, what we're doing, and how you can be a part. And we actually moved that class online for the time being. And you can go to that right now at northwood.church slash next steps. You can watch that in your own time. There's a, there's a few different modules on there. So you can watch one one day, the next, the other day, or whatever you want to do. And we're going to help you get plugged in to Northwood Church in that way. So check that out if you're newer to Northwood Church. And it's, uh, it's going to be good. One last thing, I'll let you guys go. Coming up in a few weeks here, um, uh, what is the date? July 20, I want to say 4th. I think it's going to be up on the screen here in a second. There it is, 5th, I was close. July 25th is going to be our serve day, our annual serve day. It's going to be amazing, guys. We're going to get out and serve our community and do some amazing projects around town here. So go online, sign up for that. We're going to have a lot more information coming out in the next few weeks. But hey, I love it. We always get out there, we sweat together, we work together, and we bless people, and we make an impact for our community. So sign up for that today. It's going to be great, all right? So that's all I got for you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you later.